Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark is brought to you by Lightstream the national online consumer lending division of SunTrust Bank, the flagship subsidiary of SunTrust Banks, Inc., one of the nation's leading financial services companies. Lifestream believes that consumers who've established good credit have earned the right to a simple loan process and excellent rates. I'll be back after tonight's first story to tell you a little more about Lightstream and how they can help you pay off your high-interest credit card balances and ensure that spooky tales and not unmanageable debt are the only thing keeping you up at night. Until then, settle in with your favorite beverage or your snack of choice, and double-check your locks and windows. Lightstream may be able to help you save thousands in interest, but they can't do much about the things lurking just outside your door. <laughs> Stay tuned. The show's about to begin. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 19. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. 
In tonight's episode, I'll be performing four stories for you about creepy cults, sinister science, occult experiments, and cosmic calamity. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the period, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now it's time to get started, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale of terror this evening comes to us courtesy of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and their anonymous writing collective, The Dead Canary. Without further ado, I present to you, at your command. I think when most normal people think of the Internet, they're thinking social media, online shopping, news, and the occasional porn site. Now, people talk about the dark web a place of untamed wilderness where gangsters are selling guns, using Bitcoin to do untraceable transfers to build a criminal enterprise. But somewhere in between, there are places that straddle that fine line between the illegal and what anybody can find with one wayward Google search. And that's how I found out about Diamondback. You might think I misspelled it, but no, that's how he uses it. Or she. I just assumed he, but I'm not really sure, since Diamondback uses a voice changer whenever he goes on the air. Yes, on the air. Diamondback regularly appears on weird late-night radio shows, the real late stuff, as in airing just before bakers are getting up in the morning, all about alien conspiracies and the reptilians. If you don't know about the reptilians, look them up online. There's hours of fun about them. The only reason I even know anything about Diamondback is because of a friend of mine. My friend was in a car accident a while back. She was at a red light, and a teenager on a learner's permit didn't hit the brakes soon enough. While the cars were only mildly damaged in the crash, my friend got really bad whiplash and refused to see a doctor. Her mother died in a malpractice suit, and she's been leery of doctors ever since. Trouble is, now she gets chronic neck and back pain, sometimes to the point where she has to stay in bed all day. At first, she just tried Tylenol, but it just dulled the pain, didn't get rid of it. She turned to all sorts of holistic stuff, but that didn't do the trick either. One day, her pain was so bad, she called me up crying, saying she didn't know what else to do. So, I tried to be a good friend and went to look up something she hadn't come up with yet. Most of my searches ended up either finding vitamin dealers, herbal supplements and teas, or weed dealers from states that had legalized the stuff. I was at a loss. Then, on a whim, I tried physical intervention. I thought maybe it would lead to some weird chiropractors or healing doctors who might work like chiropractors, but with more crystals and patchouli. Instead, a couple of clicks in... There was Diamondback. You might now be picturing a website full of dark symbology, mystic runes, weird rituals, and near-satanic references. Diamondback was none of these things. 
The whole site looked like fan fiction devoted to Star Trek, but with less comprehension. Rotating gifts left over from the mid-90s cluttered the page like a back alley full of wooden pallets. The color scheme was all pseudo-futuristic, with a lot of metallic whites and grays. It was also hilarious. I spent the better part of a day reading over the blog postings as he rambled on about distant galaxies, contact with higher beings, and how positivity would make all our dreams come true. Well, maybe I was a little cynical about it, but if you saw it, you might cut me a little slack. And yet the guy had a whole team of devotees. He actually had a forum where people could talk about their own connections to a higher power, and very few of them looked like trolling posts. But the big kicker was when I read about the command. In one of his most recent posts, he talked about a method by which these higher beings could fix everything wrong with you. A code phrase. Just speak it three times, out loud or in your mind, and these benevolent beings would be able to gain control of your central nervous system and correct all your ills. I sent the link to my friend. I didn't send it as a joke, but I was hoping maybe, just maybe, she would read it, understand how silly all her worry was, and finally see a doctor before her pain got much worse. She wrote me back a day later. Thanks, it worked. Feeling so much better. It worked? I couldn't believe it. I had to see for myself. I drove over to see her. It was the first time in a long time I'd seen her with a smile on her face. She said she hadn't slept so soundly since the accident. She wasn't quite sold, necessarily, that it was aliens from another galaxy that did it, but she was damn sure something fixed her. It wasn't even like the phrase itself was a self-help mantra or a daily affirmation. It was just gibberish, really. But she said it was really something special. I checked her Facebook page the next day, and I saw an update where she had created a new group, Healing Through Command. At least 15 people had signed up for it. My jaw dropped. She was already spreading the word to other people? Hey, if it worked, more power to her. I, on the other hand, had a life to live, and I went on with business as usual. I kept checking in, though, and saw the group was getting bigger, almost ridiculously big. I called her once the group had reached 1,300 people. Hey, how's, how's it going? Oh, great. No more pain. I'm so glad you found that site. It's been so helpful. I see your Facebook group is really taking off, too. The line went silent for a minute. What Facebook group? Uh, you're one about healing through command. What are you talking about? I haven't been on Facebook in months. Well, maybe somebody hacked your account. You've got 1,300. I checked the site again. Whoa, now almost 2,500 members. Uh, can, can I call you back? Sure. I didn't hear from my friend for a while. I did keep checking in on healing through command and was amazed how well it seemed to be working. People by the thousands were signing up for it, and it wasn't just bot accounts. I read through people talking about how their gout went away, how their migraines disappeared. Hell, one guy even said he didn't need a wheelchair anymore. 
It even melted my cynical little heart to read about so much good being done. Months went by, and as the holidays approached, I decided to give my friend a call. She didn't pick up. Weird, because she usually did when I called. I tried three more times. Still nothing. I drove over to her place to see if maybe she was just busy feeling good, maybe leaving her phone at home while she went out for a jog. I rang her doorbell. She didn't answer. Maybe she really was out for a jog. I was about to leave when I heard a crash from inside. I knocked. The door came open a little. Why would she leave it unlocked? I pushed in and called to her. Go away! The way she screamed it, I almost did, but I couldn't. Something was definitely wrong. The scream had come from her kitchen. I went in to find her there. She was holding a knife and it was covered in blood. On the floor was a body. I recognized it. Her ex-boyfriend, Sam. He had stopped seeing her when her neck pain had gotten worse. I'm not sure if she had tried to patch things up, or he did, but by the wound in his neck it had not gone well. She looked up at me. I told you to go. I don't have much time. Every day they have me a little more and more. What? Who are you talking about? But suddenly her eyes glazed over. Her mouth forced itself into a smile. She lifted the knife and pointed it at me. But it was slow, shaking, like she was fighting some irresistible, invisible force. Why, hello. Good to see you. I'm afraid I'm busy right now. You should go. Her head ticked back and forth like a clockwork figure. It reminded me of that robot from the great mouse detective movie. A wobbly, unsteady thing that tried to imitate life, but wasn't truly alive. That was when she moved to stab me. I raised an arm to defend myself, and I just managed to deflect it away. But she was fast, and she immediately went to do it again. I grabbed her wrist. It didn't do much good. She was unusually strong all of a sudden. Then her mouth dropped its smile while the rest of her continued to push the knife closer and closer. You have to do it. I've tried. They won't let me harm myself. It took me a moment to realize what she meant. To this day, I still cannot completely forgive myself for what I did, even though I still try to tell myself it was the right thing to do. I twisted the knife, and using that unusual strength against her, forced the knife into her own heart. I sat in her kitchen with both bodies on the floor. I know I cried for a while and then called the police. I assumed they wouldn't believe me, but I didn't care at the time. I then looked around her home. I needed something, anything, to explain what had happened. I found it in her basement. Set up in the middle of the open, unfinished space was a door frame. It looked just like she was installing a new room in there, but the frame wasn't attached to anything. No walls, no hinges, just a frame with an empty space. The only thing that was out of place about it was an electronics box attached to one side with a keypad attached to it. But instead of letters and numbers, the keys were blank. I checked her bedroom. I found papers shoved under her bed. 
Most of them were pieces of note paper with symbols drawn on them. Some others were detailed drawings of the door I found in the basement. There was also an electrical diagram, but I had no idea what it meant. I'm not an electrician, but even I know some of the stuff on there wasn't from anything built on this world. And then there were the last few pages, notes my friend had written. What is all of this? I keep finding these when I wake up. I'm not remembering things I did in the middle of the day anymore. Oh, God, I think I killed a cat. It's hanging from the clothesline in my backyard. I woke up in the basement. I was standing at that keypad. What was I trying to type in? That was the most comprehensible, but that wasn't the worst of it. The handwriting on the weird pages was different from my friend's normal handwriting. I smashed the door to pieces, but I don't know if it helped anything. I just wonder if the rest of her face group is doing the same thing. All 53,000 of them. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed At Your Command by the Dead Canary. As a reminder, Dead Canary is the anonymous writing collective of our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. If you're an author who would be interested in joining their ranks and contributing original content to this show and others, contact director Craig Groshek today at Craig at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com with the subject line, The Dead Canary, and he'll be in touch. Up next, we've got a tale from author Nathaniel Lewis about the odd things that the Ivy League invests their time into researching and why we would all be more careful about sticking our noses where they don't belong. Before we dive into our next scary tome... However, allow me to tell you about today's sponsors, Lightstream, and how they can help listeners such as yourself get out of a far less paranormal predicament. Let me begin by asking, are you, or someone you know, being kept up at night, not by the threat of what's lurking under your bed, but by the balance of your credit cards, or by interest rates and the double digits? <laughs> if you or a friend are... There's no need to be ashamed. Did you know that in March of 2018, according to the Federal Reserve, Americans' revolving debt, the bulk of which 
his credit card balances, hit a staggering $1.027 trillion. At the end of 2017, the average balance on U.S. credit cards was well over $6,000. So, if you're here in the U.S., there's a good chance you or someone you know is struggling with this along with half the folks on your block. And that's a shame. Fortunately, there's hope in companies such as Lightstream coming offering solutions. And unlike other financial institutions that offer loans, the folks at Lightstream reward people with good credit who are paying higher interest than they ought to be. You can start taking back control of your finances today and make the smart decision to pay off your credit card debt with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. With the help from the folks at Lightstream, you can get a fixed rate as low as 5.95% APR with auto pay and can save thousands of interest starting as soon as the day you apply. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000 and there are no fees. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. And you can find out for yourself today. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Lightstream is a division of SunTrust Bank, one of the nation's largest financial institutions, so you can have complete peace of mind knowing you're dealing with a reputable company with decades of experience helping people just like you. Their online application process and calculator is remarkably simple and gives you an idea as to the range of rates and interest based on a few quick questions without pressuring you at all. Did you know the average for interest rates on loans of this type are 19% APR nationwide? And other lenders can take 48 hours or longer to approve the transfer of funds. It's true, but Lightstream is different. With their low rates and quick approvals, you can receive the funds you need to move on with your life and start getting out of debt faster than you ever thought possible. Because we all know we've got better things to worry about. And the best part yet? Lightstream is so serious about helping listeners like you that they're coming to you with a special offer today to let them know that Otis Jari sent you. Want to save even more? My listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash told. L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash told. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes a half percentage point auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash told for more information. Now that I've done my part to help y'all sleep a bit easier when it comes to financial concerns, I feel more comfortable ruining your night in a totally different way with another heaping helping of horror. Our second story tonight sets out to prove that space is not the final frontier and that there's far more to explore than we could possibly imagine. But only if we're willing to pay a very high price. Stay tuned. Our second story today comes to us from author Nathaniel Lewis, 
I present to you the Harvard Wormhole Experiment. They gave me a million bucks to keep my mouth shut. And I did for 15 years. But last night I was making the rounds and I saw the professor again. I had a heart attack three years back and I tell you, when I saw him standing there in front of room 204, I felt another one coming on. He turned and smiled, and it was like he hadn't aged a day in fifteen years. Hey there, chief, he said, and that was it. I dropped my clipboard on the ground and hightailed it out of there, never looking back. What I'm about to tell you is liable to make me sound crazier than a three-horned goat. But I promise you, there's crazier things out there. The cops don't believe me. The official story is that the professor and those students died 15 years ago. Room 204 just up and exploded, they said. Damnedest thing. And there's some truth there. That room did explode, but it wasn't an accident. We knew exactly what we were doing. Or we thought we did. They call me an assistant supervisor of maintenance, but really I'm a janitor, and always have been. You might wonder why I'm still at it after getting that million bucks. That dough is for Junior, so he doesn't have to go through the same shit that I did. The night this happened, I was assigned to the Astrophysics Center, a bit northwest of the main Harvard campus. Until that night, this was always my favorite beat. I mean, God help you if you wound up at one of the biology labs. Those goddamn dead, cut-open animals all over the place used to give me nightmares. And really, thinking back, I'd take those nightmares of mutilated and scattered organs any night over the stuff that has haunted me ever since. Anyway... I was there, mopping the hallway on the second floor of the lab building, when the door to room 204 opened up, and this guy popped his head out. Hey, you! I looked around to make sure he was talking to me. Uh, yes? Can I help you, sir? I thought he was going to bitch about the room being a mess or something. I'd just like to make a thousand bucks, chief. An hour's work at most. Easy money. Does that sound good to you? <laughs> sure did. Things were tight at home, as they always were. A thousand would knock off some of those long overdue bills. But I was also on a tight schedule. They didn't give you much breathing room. Don't want you standing around thinking about it at all, I guess. That sounds great, sir, I said, but i got to stick to my beat. The man laughed. <laughs> we're about to make history, chief, he said. And you're worried about emptying the bathroom trash? Come on, don't sweat it, you won't get in trouble. I promise. I'm a professor here, I'll vouch for you. Well, the guy did look like a professor, with carefully combed gray hair and big old glasses on his face. I shrugged, leaned my mop against the wall, and said, Sure, what do I have to do? That's fantastic. Come on in, Chief. Come on in. I followed him into the room. One look and I should have just turned around then and there and told him to keep his damn money. But I didn't. As soon as I stepped in, I felt the little hairs all over my body stand up. 
I don't mean I was scared. I mean like there was an electrical charge in that room and I had a guess about where it was coming from. There, in the center of the room, on a round table, was a large glass globe, crackling with electricity. Like what you see if you go into a kid's science museum. Like they somehow created a lightning storm in a glass ball. This one was sort of vibrating around on its stand and buzzing. And the lightning inside was black. I could feel the electricity coming from it, from across the room. There were four kids there, students, I guessed, sitting in a row of chairs along one wall. More than sitting, they were strapped into those chairs with metal things over their heads, like those big bowl things you see at a hair salon. They all had their eyes closed. Ah, I said, what's going on here? Those kids okay? Oh, they're fine, they're quite fine, said the professor. As to what's going on, as I said, we're about to make history. We're going to open the first wormhole. Wormhole, I said. Like in the movies? The professor laughed. I suppose so, chief, he said. Now listen, we had a last-minute cancellation, but that's okay, because it's an easy job. We're going to be kicking things off here shortly, and once they're properly kicked off, the wormhole will open. I'll enter. I'm not back in 30 minutes. You pull that lever there, and this will close the wormhole. I looked to where he was pointing, at a big red lever attached to a giant whirring machine that was hooked up to metal bowls over the students' heads. But, oh, won't you be trapped on the other side of the wormhole? I asked, not that I had the slightest idea about what the hell was going on. Just so, Chief, said the professor. We've got this down to two possibilities. One, the wormhole opens up to what we're calling the second universe. The best way that I can explain this possibility is that there's a different reality that exists on the other side of this one, the other side of an invisible wall. The wormhole will provide a door in that wall. And the other possibility that the wormhole will open to a place that man was not meant to go. Thirty minutes will give me enough time to get in and out, if the possibility is true. And if it's a second, then you'll close the hole with that lever and my students will destroy my work. This was all way above my pay grade. My head was spinning. Why only two possibilities? How the hell did they come up with those two? And if this is real, why the hell would the professor take a toy cost chance at getting stuck in the place that was man not meant to go? I mean, those are just starter questions among the swarm that was buzzing around my head. I see that you have some reservations, said the professor. I assure you that your job, your only job, is to pull that lever after 30 minutes. That's it, chief. We take care of the rest, and anything else that happens isn't on you. The documentation is quite in order. He tapped a folder that was sitting on the circular table. And here, I'll write you a check now before we proceed. As he wrote out the check, I wondered if it would still be valid if he got swallowed up by the wormhole. I actually had that thought, as crazy as it sounds. 
It was still all so weird and abstract to me at that point. Here, he said, handing over the check. Let's do it, Chief. As soon as I'm entering that wormhole, give me exactly 30 minutes. On the dot. That's all you got to do. He took the check, mumbled a thanks, and watched as he walked over to the machine. He pulled the lever. There was a loud crackling sound, and I watched in unease as, one by one, the student's eyes shot open. There were no pupils there, like their eyes were rolled back into their sockets. Hey, now, I said, taking a step toward the machine. They're quite fine, said the professor, I assure you. Their jaws started to move like they were grinding their teeth. The professor took a jar of neon blue liquid from the shelf on the wall. He unscrewed the lid and poured the stuff over the electric globe on the round table. The thing started going crazy. Then the globe shattered completely, bits of glass flying through the air as shoots of black lightning zapped out into the room. I ducked down. I had had enough by then and was ready to get the hell out of there. Then it happened. A fucking black hole appeared in the middle of the room, sucking in the bolts of electricity. It grew larger and larger until it took up half the room. All I could hear was this rushing sound, like the world's largest vacuum cleaner running at full throttle. Remember, Chief, shouted the professor with a wild look on his face. Thirty minutes, exactly. Then he stepped into the thing and was gone. At first, my mind was a mess, staring at that whooshing black hole that seemed hungry to suck everything in. I looked at the kids, hooked up to the machine, their eyes rolled back. White holes, I guess they looked like. Their jaws grinding away like crazy. It was too much to make sense of. I looked down at my watch. Fifteen minutes and thirty-one seconds had gone by since the professor got swallowed up by the wormhole. My heart was pounding, and I kept pacing back and forth, back and forth, trying to work out what the hell was going on. Then I started to zero in on it. I was getting pranked. Not a prank like we used to do as kids, setting dog shit on somebody's front steps and all that idiocy. I mean a prank like the sophisticated college folks do, where they tell you something's going on, but the whole point is just to observe your reaction. A psychological experiment. Probably cameras in here watching me right now. See what I do. Twelve minutes to go. I saw a trickle of blood come down from one of the kids' noses. I leaned down to look at him closely. He was shaking a little bit, all over. If I throw that lever, this will probably stop. Maybe that was the test. I had to decide between trapping the professor in the black hole and saving the kids hooked up to the machines. None of it was real, of course, but they didn't know that I knew that. But then, screaming in the back of my mind was that voice. What if it's real? Ten minutes to go. The professor had promised me that the kids were all right. Another one started bleeding from the nose. If it wasn't real, it was a hell of a trick. Where did the professor go, if not through that black hole? 
I thought about touching it, but whenever I got close, I was filled with total terror. It sure seemed real. Like it really took you someplace far, far away from here. I walked over to the table and picked up the folder that was there. Just like the professor had said, the first page was instructions to shut down the machine and destroy it if he didn't return within 30 minutes. I flipped that page over, and the next one had a photograph of one of the students. I read what it said. It was a consent form. I, Jackson Stewart, acknowledge the possibility of my imminent death if I participate in this experiment. I'm prepared to give my life to science. I flipped that page, and there were three more just like it. Now, I'm no lawyer, but there was no way in hell that this experiment was legal if it was real, even with those consent forms. So it probably wasn't real. And if it was, then the professor lied to me. He said the kids were fine. This folder was telling me something else. Two minutes to go. I took a deep breath and paced the room, watching each second tick by. My mind was telling me that none of it was real, that my gut was screaming in horror. I just looked at my watch. It would be over soon enough one way or the other. Thirty seconds. I walked over to the machine, put my hand on the lever. God damn it! Why is he cutting it so close? I watched the seconds tick by, and I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I could risk trapping the professor wherever the hell he had gone off to. Five seconds. That was shaking. Four seconds. Sweat was pouring down my face, dripping into my eyes. Three seconds. One of the students started to moan. The one that I saw was named Jackson in the folder. Two seconds. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. One second. Jackson started to shake. Shit! I tensed my muscles to pull the lever. One look at Jackson and I knew I had to pull it. He was violently jerking around now. Wait! I snapped my neck around to see the professor's head sticking out of the black hole. Wait, damn it! Then his shoulders were through. I turned back to Jackson. Blood was pouring out of his eyes. I'm almost through. The second kid started to shake. One more second! I looked to see that the professor was through. He was back in the room. Do it! he shouted. Two things happened after that, at the exact same time. I heard a wet popping sound, and I watched as the whole wormhole disappeared, as though it was never there. But I had never pulled the lever. I slowly turned to look at Jackson. His head was gone. Judging by the bits of brain and splatters of blood on the bowl thing above his neck, his head had just exploded. The whirring of the machine gradually died down, and then it was silent. The three kids, who were still alive, stopped shaking and closed their eyes. A tragedy, Professor said, pointing at Jackson with the exploded head. But not for nothing. I've been there. I've seen it, Chief. I've seen it. I hunched over and puked. It was weird, but my first thought was, what a mess I'll have to clean up later. 
I don't know. I guess my mind had sort of shut down and I was going on autopilot. I was the janitor. I cleaned up messes, that's all I know. Then it hit me, the reality of what had happened. You son of a bitch! I yelled. You told me these kids would be okay. The professor put his sickening smug grin on his face. He would have been, chief. If you pulled the lever at the 30-minute mark as instructed, you told me to wait. Did I? Yes, you fucker. I'm calling the police. I had a walkie clipped to my belt. It wouldn't get me the police, but it would get campus security. I reached for it and had it in my hand when I heard a groan behind me. I turned to see that it was one of the kids they were waking up. I went over to unstrap them from the chairs. The first kid's eyes blinked open, and when she saw the professor, she started screaming. It's okay, I said. Shh, it's okay, it's all over. She kept screaming. Then the second kid woke up. He looked right at me with wide, terrified eyes. Get us out of here, he shouted. I'm working on it, kid, I said, fumbling at the straps. They were on tight. The third kid woke up. It's here, she said. I made it through. Everything's okay now, I said. Your friend didn't make it, I'm afraid, but it's over. I'll make sure the professor pays for what he did to you and your friends. The first kid was still screaming at the top of her lungs. Get us out of here, shouted the second kid again. The third kid looked me dead in the eyes and in total calm voice said, It's not the professor. What? Of course it is, I said. What I saw when I turned to look at the professor will haunt me forever. The professor's mouth was twisting around at odd angles like something was moving the lower half of his jaw randomly or like he was trying to get a hair out of his mouth that kept jumping around. The veins on his neck bulged and sank back down, then bulged again, so that they were thick as ropes. His wrists were rotating in ways they weren't supposed to rotate, as his arms flailed around wildly. I had the first kid, the screaming one, free. She jumped out of the chair and ran to the door, but her legs were wobbly and she tripped over herself in the middle of the room. I went to work on the second kid, whipping my head around every second to look at the professor. It looked like there was something crawling around under his skin. Something big. Get us out of here, the second kid shouted yet again. The first kid was still on the ground, screaming. I worked away furiously on the straps. If you believe in God, said the third kid, with an eerie calm, then pray. I took a glance at the professor, and that's when the first bone burst out of his chest, through his suit. I call it a bone, but it was pure black, and dripping with green slime. As for me, said the third kid, I do not believe that there is a god, not after what I have seen. The second kid was free and made a run for it. I scooted over to the third kid but watched as the professor reached out an arm and grabbed the second kid by the top of his head. The professor gave one quick twist and let go. I heard a terrible snap, and the kid slumped to the ground, dead. Three more black bones came out of the professor's chest, dripping. He laughed. 
bound to the first kid who was still screaming as bones began to poke out of his back like a fucking stegosaurus from hell. What is that thing? I asked as I fumbled at the straps of the last kid. It does not belong here, said the kid. No shit, I said, getting one strap free. But what is it? comes from a terrible place, a place where there's nothing save pain, endless pain, incomprehensible to our minds. Great, I muttered, as I noticed with a sinking heart that the screams from the girl behind me had stopped. Then I heard a wet crunch. I couldn't help it. I looked to see the professor tearing into that poor girl's throat with long black fangs dripping in green slime. I turned back to the kid, almost done with the straps, just a few more seconds. What's your name, anyway, kid? Claire. Claire, I said, my mind trying to stay focused. When I get you out of these straps, I want you to pick up this chair and throw it at that thing, okay? I'll do the same thing, okay? Then we make a run for it. Do you understand? Can you do that? I understand, said Claire. I do hope it works. I did hope it worked, too. We have to make it work, Claire, I said, yanking off the last strap. Come on. We stood up together, and I reached over to pick up a chair. I hurled it at the professor with all of my strength, and it shattered against his boned back. I heard a terrible shriek then, and watched as Claire's chair followed behind. I grabbed Claire's arm with one hand and reached for my pocket knife with the other. The only way out of that room meant passing by the professor. We started running as I pulled the knife out and flicked it up. The professor stood, still shrieking, as the green slime mixed with the red blood from the kid's throat and dripped down his chin. I took a wild stab at the professor's neck and connected. I kept running with Claire, leaving the knife stuck in the professor's neck and made it to the door. I had my hand around the knob when I heard Claire pulling away from me. I looked back, helpless, as I saw the professor reach long black claws into her gut. I threw the door open and left her there. Good God, I left her there. I made it outside the lab building somehow, I don't remember how. My mind just sort of shut down as I ran like hell, I guess. I did have the presence to go around and lock all the doors from the outside, then I got on the radio to campus security. You guys need to get police over to the Astrophysics Center. Fucking ASAP. There was a fucking massacre in there. The front door started to rattle, and I heard the god-awful shriek again. Repeat? Said a voice over the walkie. Look, I said. Call up Lawrence Summers. Right now. That was the president of Harvard at the time, and I had seen his signature on the papers in that folder with all the consent forms. Tell him the wormhole experiment has gone way the fuck south. Rattling at the door stopped. I only prayed that the thing didn't figure out it could just break a window and crawl out that way. This is the janitor, right? Said a different voice on the other end of the walkie. Is this a joke? The wormhole experiment? Have you been drinking? Call Lawrence Summers. If you don't, I promise you that you'll never be able to live with yourself. Do it now! There was a horrible pause. I heard the professor trying the side door now, shrieking once again. 
10-4. A fleet of black SUVs pulled up two minutes later. A team of heavily armed men jumped out and ran past me, breaking through windows and jumping inside. I heard a stream of gunfire and screams, so many screams, and the professor's horrible shrieks. After a while, it was quiet, and the second team of men jumped through the broken windows. I didn't hear any more gunfire. I felt a hand on my shoulder and whipped around. A man was standing there. I don't remember a single thing about what he looked like, but I remember our conversation. Tell me what happened, he said. I told him this full story, the same one I've told you. We're prepared to give you a lot of money to sign an NDA. NDA? Non-disclosure agreement. It means that you can never tell anybody about what happened here tonight. How much? A million dollars. And a promotion. The man paused. You mean you still want to work work here? After tonight, somebody's got to clean up the shit, I said. Fine, of course. One more thing. What's that, asked the man. I want to know that this will never happen again. I want you to blow up all that shit and burn all the notes. Of course. And I want to watch. Of course, said the man. And so I thought it was over. But it's not. Last night, I saw the professor again. He looked me right in the eyes, flashed that smug grin, and said, Hey there, Chief. That's when I ran the hell out of there. The police don't believe me. I've sent a dozen emails to Lawrence Summers' assistants. I've called every number that I've found listed for them. I haven't heard anything back. I don't know who else to turn to. I'm afraid the professor is going to open the wormhole again. And I'm afraid this time he might bring his friends back with him. Thanks for joining me tonight for Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you like what you heard and would like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's episode, which includes two more terrifying tales, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, where you can sign up for a season pass and get access to all 24 ad-free extended episodes from this season or sign up as a patron for just $5 per month and get access to not just my show, but our network's audio archive of hundreds of previous releases, including premium versions of our other shows. Not only that, but you'll be lending your support to this very program and help me continue bringing nightmares to life each and every week. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Lightstream, for their support of this show. Don't forget, my listeners can save even more with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash told, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M 
www.thepetshop.com told. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a half percentage point auto pay discount, terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com told for more information. Until next week, stay spooky, get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>
whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.